You're listening to Historically Speaking from Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Hi, Kay. Happy recording day. Hi, Kylie. Happy recording day to you, too. I'm excited for this episode of Historically Speaking. Well, I'm excited for all of them, but this one especially. I am, too. This is one of those questions that we get all the time, and yet we'll both probably be answering it for the rest of our lives. I'm always talking about job security, so I guess this is one of those examples. The question we're covering today is from the January 2006 issue of Historically Speaking, and asks, would you please tell me about the Kappa Crest? There it is, the Kappa Crest. It gets me every time, but I must be honest that until I started working for Kappa, I probably would have called it a crest as well. Lots of people do, and it's understandable. The Kappa insignia people are usually asking about is what is known officially as the fraternity coat of arms. The crest is just a part of the coat of arms. And the rules that we'll be discussing are part of the broader system called heraldry. In doing some additional research, I learned that heraldry has many branches and a very long history. Some say around the early 1200s, and it's observed primarily in countries much older than the United States. It includes things like ceremony and pedigree and rank, all things that the American Revolution really worked to set aside. So it's interesting to me that a women's fraternity or sorority founded in Illinois in 1870 would be concerned with heraldry. Yes, you have a point. But remember, our founders and earliest members were students of the classics, and they held so many of these traditions with high regard. It was probably only natural that when trying to figure out ways to visually identify ourselves as a group, we would turn to the tradition that was very graphic in nature and very traditional. It's not like they could find a directory of graphic designers and ask for a logo. No, I suppose not. Okay, so let me quickly share what we found about the technicalities of a coat of arms. For one, the crest always appears above the helmet. So in the case of our coat of arms, the crest is the new member pin and signature, the sigma within the delta, that sits on top of Minerva's helmet at the top of the shield. And one of the reasons people often mix up the crest in the coat of arms is because of the way they have come to be used in very non-heraldic ways. For instance, Webster's Dictionary says that a coat of arms is a shield with the heraldic emblems as the insignia of some groups. And a crest is a heraldic device placed on seals, silverware, and so forth. So by that definition, one could argue that our coat of arms actually is a crest because it appears primarily on seals, silverware, etc. Yes, but one of the things we are most proud of is the fact that our coat of arms was designed with the help of a leading heraldry expert in the United States at the time, Mark J. Rowell in Philadelphia. And that time was in the early 1900s. 
the fraternity first discussed having a coat of arms at the 1905 council meeting. And the grand treasurer was asked to confer with the chapters about designs. So I guess that 1905 meeting was before you were on council. <laughs> yes, believe it or not. <laughs> well, and I know from the archives and my own collection of prints that I've purchased on eBay that lots of chapters were already using things that we now call cuts. They're steel engravings printed on paper that combine Kappa symbols and look sort of like a coat of arms. And they were usually submitted to yearbooks and newspapers to help identify Kappa chapters. Yes, aren't those prints, uh, those cuts just beautiful? Well, in 1905, the council wanted something a little more standard. So a standing committee was appointed and served for the next four years. However, the members of the committee changed from time to time. They collected designs from the chapters and brought them to the 1906 and 1908 conventions. It was not until the 1909 council meeting that an appointed committee achieved the desired result. Chairman Margaret Brown Moore Wooster made it her personal responsibility to understand the rules which govern heraldry with the help of both Joanna Strange Dupont, head of the reference department of Carnegie Library in Pittsburgh and the designer of the Sigma Nu coat of arms. Margaret wrote an article for the key which presented the official plate in color. The language of the heraldry is exceedingly complicated. Each part of the arms and each charge have significance peculiar to itself. The shield has nine parts. There are definite rules for the description of the coat of arms in the books of the heralds or in private archives. I was glad to reread that article because one of the things I often try to explain to people is the importance of the description of our coat of arms and the way it's written in our bylaws. Descriptions are so important because you must be able to create a coat of arms without seeing any pictures, just by the words alone. And these rules go back to when artisans were hammering these designs into armor and shields. So the description was important, and that's why there are different rules like metal should not be put on metal, nor color on color. But thankfully, we're not hand hammering a bunch of shields, President Gail Owen's personal armor. <laughs> The description of the coat of arms, as it appears in the present fraternity bylaws, is the same as the original technical description, but expressed in terms which translate the other words. And I quote here, the following is the description of the fraternity coat of arms. One, the shield shall be azure. Azure is the term used in heraldry for blue because it was derived from the mineral azurite, bearing in the honor point the golden key of the fraternity, in the middle base, a golden owl, these two charges being separated by a chevron of silver on which lie three fleur-de-lis of azure. Two, the crest shall be a wreath of azure and silver resting on the helmeted head of Minerva, thereon a sigma in delta in azure hues. Number three, the motto shall be the Greek letters KKG, Kappa Kappa Gamma, in silver resting on a ribbon of azure. 
And number four, the mantling shall be silver and azure. You know, I remember when Prince William was married and then Prince Harry, lots of people were really interested in what their new coat of arms were going to look like. Luckily, I could understand some of the descriptions they talked about because of the knowledge that I had of Kappa's coat of arms. Oh, that's right. I remember we talked about that. So in 1910, the convention delegates realized that Margaret must have expert help if the fraternity was to have a piece of work technically correct. So they voted to permit her to consult an authority. She worked with the gentleman you mentioned earlier, Mark J. Rowe of Philadelphia, the authority on heraldry in America. He rendered her ideas in a watercolor sketch that presented them correctly. The sketch, which was accepted by vote of the chapters in 1912 as the official coat of arms of Kappa Kappa Gamma as, the res as a result of the collaboration between Margaret Moore and Mark Rowe. At the 1912 convention in Evanston, Illinois, the delegates voted to have the shape of the key conform to the one inch measurement and its corresponding proportions, rather than have the symbolic key that was in the original print. Although it does not conform strictly to the requirements of heraldry, it was voted at the convention to allow the six Greek letters to appear on the badge in the coat of arms. So, dear listeners, the next time you look at the fraternity coat of arms, study the various parts and you'll understand the significance of what was used. The general outline of the mantling and ribbon is supposed to suggest the conventional fleur-de-lis. The key is in the honor point. The chevron is protection accomplished by some work of faithful service. Fleur-de-lis is purity and light. Owl is vigilant and of acute wit. Key is guardianship and dominion. Blue is truth and loyalty. Silver is peace and sincerity. Gold is generosity and elevation of mind. And we can't forget the other bit of brilliance from Margaret. She urged the fraternity to protect the design so that the technically perfect coat of arms will not be lost to us. She expressed a wish that there should be perfect dyes of stamping in gold and silver, as well as plates for printing on the documents and reports. Cleoria Wheeler, Minnesota, prepared such plates and dyes. The College of Arms in England was consulted before Cleora cut the dye in filigree and it was made after the others that were modeled in the regulation way. When they were done, Margaret Moore declared that perfect reproductions had been made, and we still use them today. I know this wasn't the original question, but I still wonder, why would a women's fraternity or sorority found only in the United States and Canada be concerned with heraldry and insist on a heraldically correct coat of arms? I think if you were to ask Margaret Brown Moore and Mark Rowe that very question, they would answer, why wouldn't you? I think you're right. Whatever the answer, I, for one, am glad that they went to the trouble. 
Every time I see our coat of arms on jewelry, stationery, charters, even sculpted in foam on the wall at fraternity headquarters, I admire its beauty and I think back on how hard they work to get it just right. Isn't that the truth? It makes me love my sesquicentennial charm that has the coat of arms on that much more. All right, well, now that we're experts in heraldry, I might start designing my own family coat of arms. Oh, do let me know how that turns out. (laughs) I will. And listeners, let us know what questions you'd like us to research. You can email them to us at archives at kkg.org. We'll catch you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Historically Speaking. Brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research is done by former fraternity president and former fraternity historian Kay Smith-Larson from Beta Pi Chapter at the University of Washington. And production is done by me, Kylie Smith, from Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College, and the Archivist and Museum Director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.